call it underworld. That's where Buttertown gets its energy. What, oil, natural gas? Pigs. minute it's time for some stinky science as we watch mad max beyond thunderdome one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 16 sweet minute 16 which begins with auntie doing her best commander tom dodge impression and ordering periscope down and it ends with max being invited to take a gander at his intended target accepting our invitation to come on the podcast today are richard and chieko dunham from the studio ghibli minute hello this is richard this is chieko glad to be here so glad to be here. <laughs> Welcome. You were gracious enough to have us on your podcast when you two were talking about Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And so we wanted to bring you over to our yard to play with our toys for a little while. Appreciate it. Hope to have fun. Well, of course I will. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is an interesting set of minutes that we've got coming up this week because Auntie is inviting Max to take a gander at what lies beneath Barter Town. <laughs> when we ended last Friday's episode, Auntie was leading Max over to this giant metal pipe, which turns out to be a periscope. But instead of poking up out of the tent, it looks down below the tent. Kind of a, would you say it's a reverse periscope, Julia? Well, or is there technically, no. Such thing? no. <laughs> a periscope doesn't. It doesn't indicate height, right? Just parrot. Parrot doesn't mean like up or down, does it? Right, mm. right. Yeah, it doesn't indicate direction or anything. So it's just a regular periscope. Okay. I do have a number of issues with this periscope. Yeah. Oh, now, <laughs> a couple as well. I see. <laughs> Yeah. Now, if you're still holding on to your sense of belief this far into the movie, I would encourage anybody listening to just abandon that right the heck now, because this periscope makes zero sense whatsoever. And this is where my gripes start. First of all, the periscope goes down through the floor. And for anyone that has been watching this movie since the beginning, go back and watch minute 11, somewhere around second 36 through 42. And we're going to get a nice profile view of Auntie's penthouse. There are no large metal pipes going down the floor yeah. of that structure into the ground. So this pipe just goes down into the floor and then I guess disappears for a while and then suddenly reappears underneath. It's kind of ridiculous. And that's not all. <laughs> for another thing, when Auntie steps to the left, the periscope also turns to the left, indicating that it's rotating in an opposite direction to which she's turning it. There's also the fact that the lens of the periscope itself is just a piece of glass on the end of a pipe. There are no mirrors reflecting an image. There's a zoom and enhance function that is totally not possible. Like, there's so much fast and loose play yeah, at hand here. I like the way that it drops down from the ceiling, doesn't it? For her? Yeah. Like one of the guards, yeah. one of the Mohawk guards, hmm. like pulls it down with yeah. his little with his weapon. Spear. Yeah, his like little <laughs> pulls it down for Auntie. Like, hey, let me get that for you. And if you're if you're if she's looking down, wouldn't it come up from the floor? Yeah. Instead of down from the ceiling. There are so many things that bother me about this <clears throat> periscope that I'm trying to front load them all right now so that way I never have to talk <laughs> about them for the rest of this movie. <laughs> I want this to be my opportunity to get it all off my chest because it is so so frustrating how little sense it makes we don't 
would in this minute would do we it's not until like the next minute do that we see the like the bottom uh the part that's looking out into the underworld right <laughs> we get a little peek of it in underworld today when we see that piece of it on the bottom, there's some rifling inside it. Yeah, like a corrugated pipe. That's oh, yeah. yeah. There's like, it's like oh, a spiral yeah. cuts in the side of the pipe. I was just wondering if it was... Is that the zoom? Or what... <laughs> <laughs> Is that the zoom? <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Gets closer and like... That's how the light rays like stay straight as they come out of the pipe. <laughs> they put a little spin on them. <laughs> oh, like a rifle? Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So it's compensating. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as the light is spun around in yeah. a spiral, you don't need mirrors. It'll right? you don't it'll need get mirrors. bent around. It's good. Okay. <laughs> it's like a, it's like fiber optics, but like on a macro scale. <laughs> right. Which is really what a periscope is. <laughs> the word periscope has a bit of a negative connotation for me. Oh, really? Because when I was going to school for medical billing, I took a medical terminology class, which was a fascinating class. It was a lot of fun. Mm. One of our group projects was to find non-medical words that followed the rules of medical terminology. In my word, one of my words was periscope. Para meaning I can't remember what. <laughs> and scope <laughs> meaning an instrument to look and an instrument to see with. So I said periscope and this is what it means. And I got shot down Ooh. because the rest of the people in the group insisted, hardcore insisted that a periscope was a medical instrument. Wow. I'm like, have you really? ever heard of submarines? We had an argument about it and the word ended up getting rejected. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was not happy. My heart would break. I did a quick Google search. Peri as a prefix means about or around. For instance, a parameter or a periscope enclosing or surrounding in cases of pericardium and near in cases of perigree and perihelion. So oh. a periscope is a scope that allows you to see about or around. Yeah. Or perinatal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That works. And it's not a medical device. So it should have counted. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can think of one instance where a periscope could be construed at least a little bit as a medical device. What's the name of the movie where the doctors shrink down and go inside someone? Fantastic Voyage? Yes! That's what it is. They were in a submarine. They got inside sunk down and of put into a person. Body. They were in wow. a submarine first time. Rick, <laughs> I wish that you had been part of that group project. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, but I really should be involved with most anybody's group <laughs> projects because I guarantee good grades. Yeah, I don't, you do. I don't slouch when it comes to group projects. No, you're really good. <laughs> so does that mean that Raquel Welch is also a, can be considered a medical device? Was she in that? Hmm. Yeah, she was. Raquel Welch. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, I think that's a yes then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say how effective they are as medical <laughs> devices, but you know. It works. And a medical device that is a scope, you wouldn't call it a periscope to just look around. The scope is named after what it's going to look at or the orifice that it uses <laughs> to go in <laughs> to look around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm think, trying to think of examples yeah. and I can't think of anything. Like if you wanted to do examine like a pig's energy source or something. Or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. I don't know what that would be. Like stethoscope. What's the stetho in stethoscope? I don't know. See, I should know this because I, I took say, the class, I'm but I don't. I'm looking right at you, Julia. You took the classes <laughs> all about this stuff. <laughs> Well, you don't actually need to know a lot of medical terminology to do medical billing. So pass the class. And at the end of the day, that's the important thing. I still have the flashcards somewhere. Yeah, I think they're scattered around the inside of our coffee table. They're not really organized (laughs) at this point. I think they're just in little piles. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. I didn't throw them away because one, they were expensive. And Mm. two, I had to cut them all apart. They came in sheets. Now that's the most frustrating part into those flashcards you spend a bunch of money on flashcards and then they have the gall to make you cut them out yourself I know. well i count my blessings because my sister took the same class not from the same institution she did not get flashcards she wrote her own flashcards you could have hundreds you could have sold them with like a value add charge <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> stetho means chest okay ancient greek stethos gotcha <clears throat> So that makes sense for the stethoscope. Yeah. So speaking of scope, as we've been doing for the last couple of minutes here, Auntie is scoping out Underworld so that she can show Max his intended target. So we get our first real shot of Underworld in this instance. We start up by the bottom of the periscope and we pan over and we just see a room. It's dark. It's dingy. There's chains hanging from the ceiling. There are pigs everywhere. This is Underworld, and Underworld was an entire indoor set that the production made. And the page for shooting locations on madmaxmovies.com, one of our favorite resources for information, says that the building it was built in was an unused bull sale ring in Glebe, which is a Sydney suburb. So I went on Google Maps because that's what I like to do and when it comes to locations and I looked at that neighborhood and nowadays it's so built up. It's like buildings and shopping centers and parks and things like that. It's really hard to nail down exactly where it is, but mm-hmm. I know for a fact that somewhere between the A22 Waddle Street and Ross Street and then of course the water somewhere in that neighborhood there used to be a bull sale ring, and that's where they built Underworld. So it was already set up to deal with livestock, huh? <laughs> More or less. Yeah. The funny thing about Underworld is that it looks like a lot of pigs, and that's a bit of an understatement. The IMDb trivia page says there are 600 pigs, although in a behind-the-scenes documentary, Terry Hayes, the writer of the movie, remembers that number being closer to 400. So there's just a buttload of pigs here. And because there are so many in that one location, they can't buy up that many pigs. It would hurt the pork market. So they rented them from a local farm. And then when the city found out that they were going to cram that many pigs into an enclosed area, they slapped the production with an injunction, basically worried that either the pigs weren't going to be taken care of or people were going to get sick. And so after the injunction was cleared, the crew had to wear plastic white jumpsuits with knee-high rubber boots and they had to wash everything constantly. And it was, let's see, how did George Miller put it? It was like something out of a space movie or something like that yeah, or the andromeda <laughs> strain or something exactly so are we looking at all 400 600 pigs here or do you think some are still waiting in the green room i think this might actually be all of the pigs i think they crammed them all into this oh, one God. space wow. yeah it's funny because they're in there and they're squealing and they're bumping into each other and they're waiting around 
And yet in this behind the scenes documentary we watched, Tina Turner talks about the pigs as being, you know, jolly and expressive. And I think she said almost like little people. (laughs) (laughs) We see like the grain shoot kind of in Mm -hmm. operation here. So that's what the pigs are. I was wondering what they eat. I guess they have this grain shoot but where do they get the grain that's a really good question because when you've got that many pigs you need to feed them somehow and one thing we haven't even considered yet is where they're getting their food it's not really explored you know as i was thinking of that i i couldn't help thinking of a deadwood if you guys watch deadwood i've heard a lot about deadwood haven't actually sat down to watch it yet though so when uh, one of the characters when he wants to get rid of somebody he has them killed and then he delivers the body to this chinese pig farmer and the body gets disposed of by the pigs so i'm wondering if like the, if they if they do something similar here and it would have been a cool thing although this is maybe wouldn't have kept it pg-13 <laughs> to show them like getting rid yeah. of bodies or feeding dead people to the pigs. Getting people from after Thunderdome and like chopping them up, feeding it to the pigs. They've got to do something. When the rule is two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah. One of those men probably going to just become pig food. Yeah. yeah. I read an article a little while back and I'm looking for confirmation of the details. Mm-hmm. There was a Canadian man who was finally arrested for being a serial killer, and he had been active for like 30, 40 years. He was a pig farmer. Robert Picton was accused with the first degree murders of 26 women and allegedly confessed to 49 murders. He was convicted in 2007 of six charges. Oh my. He's a pig farmer and serial killer convicted in 2007. Yeah, he would lure women to his home and kill them and then feed them to his pigs. I mean, I would just go down to the Agway and get a bag of feed, but you know. You know, that's one way to do it. <laughs> Murder is also a way. It's not a good Saves way. money. <laughs> Yeah. And to top it all off, not only was he a serial killer, but he then gave pork to the local police department. Like as a, you know, as a gift, like, hey, here, have some pork. Yeah. So they really liked him. Everybody liked him, which is like the classic line. Oh, he was a great guy. Yeah. People didn't think he was a great guy. He was kind of a skeevy guy. I don't think anybody was really surprised when it turned out he was a serial killer, but he still gave the pork that was fed by human beings yeah. to the police department. As soon as you said a Canadian serial killer, I thought of <laughs> Tusk. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, uh, which I did not want to think of Tusk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you brought that on yourself. <laughs> You can edit that out. I don't want your <laughs> listeners to have to think of that movie either. Oh my gosh. How does this place work? I don't understand. The, I was trying to figure out the layout and what's the what's the purpose of the train the engine. Middle. So now that we've gotten a good look at Underworld, we can start to pick apart exactly how this thing works. Because Auntie, back up in the penthouse, she pulls away from the periscope and she beckons Max over to look through it. And she says, we call it Underworld. And it's where Barter Town gets its energy. Max, being a sensible sort of fellow, guesses oil or natural 
natural gas as the source because it's underground. You tap into an underground gas source and you don't get your power that way. Mm -hmm. Auntie Entity fires back with, no, pigs. And Max looks at all the pigs just walking around there and he doesn't quite believe it. And he calls her on it saying that that answer is nonsense. He doesn't use the word nonsense, but you get the idea. Auntie (laughs) says, no, it's not nonsense. We use the passings of pigs... (laughs) Once they've eaten, oh my God. I'm they, writing that down. <laughs> they provide a resource. Max has never heard of this before, and so the collector pops in to confirm what Auntie said and goes so far as to say that all of the lights, the motors, the vehicles, they're all run by a high-powered gas called methane, and methane comes from the natural result of a digestive system. So this is why this is why I chose these minutes. <laughs> oh my god. Just this is I saw this movie in the theater. I may have seen like The Road Warrior on network TV. Mm-hmm. I remember like all my cool friends who had whose parents had cable had already seen the unedited version, but I don't think I'd ever seen it. So uh, I was really excited that there was, uh, you know, a sequel that I was able to see. I think I was 14 at the time. (laughs) So I was excited about this line just because it was, you know, a little bit transgressive. And this is just that exchange. Those two lines really kind of stuck with me because I thought it was it was funny and it was. You know, he says BS and then she says PS. It was it was a very it it just kind of uh, stuck in my mind. It was a memorable, very funny exchange. Yeah. (laughs) A a nice wordplay. It would seem that the train that you mentioned and all of the pipes and all of the machinery, the burners on the side of the room, it's all a matter of taking these droppings and making them more or less pick up the slack energy wise. So shouldn't we see like a lot of blue flame if it's methane? <laughs> yeah. What's surprising is that we don't really see a lot of flame at all aside from yeah. the furnaces. Yeah. And even then it's it's very orange, which yeah, tells like me low... that it's not burning that hot. Yeah. And then we see a lot of steam. Now, steam makes sense. I did a bunch of research into this whole methane thing because methane is very plentiful in our world. And that's more or less because it's what chemists call a simple hydrocarbon. It consists of one carbon atom, four hydrogen atoms, and so it's this nice little self-contained package. And it is the principal component of natural gas. If you burn one molecule of methane in the presence of oxygen, it releases one molecule of CO2 and two molecules of H2O, or water. So you can take methane and put it into more or less a steam engine, that type of thing. Because as you burn it, you're going to get that water and that's going to turn into steam and it's going to turn your turbines. Since pure methane is odorless and will replace oxygen if there's enough of it in the room, it has additives put into it, such as ethyl mercaptan, which makes methane smell like eggs, which is why everyone, when they think of methane, they think of farts, they think it smells bad, but that additive is man-made. Methane is also a greenhouse gas with a global warming potential of 22, meaning that it is 22 times the warming ability of carbon dioxide. Methane results from the decomposition of certain organic matters, such as pig 
poop. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the kicker is that it results from that decomposition in the absence of oxygen. So it's technically also a biogas. So you've got to be very particular when you harvest it. Like I said before, you can burn methane as a fuel in a gas turbine or steam generator compared to other hydrocarbon fuels burning methane produces less carbon dioxide for each unit of heat released at about 891 kilojoules per mole methane's heat of combustion is lower than any other hydrocarbon but the ratio of the heat of combustion to the molecular mass shows that methane being the simplest hydrocarbon produces more heat per mass unit than other complex hydrocarbons so wait you don't have to burn it as hot but it produces more heat is that right exactly Mm. so it's really good for like heating homes yeah you can pipe it into homes and it will be good for warming your rooms for cooking your meals because it's got that very effective heating capacity it is considered to have an energy content of 39 megajoules per cubic meter or 1000 btu per standard cubic foot which if anyone out there has ever bought a space heater before the more btus the hotter the heater can get so a thousand btus is pretty good oh okay i've never known what a btu was now you said methane is the principal component of natural gas correct Mm mm-hmm Okay. You look at the bills more than I do. So <laughs> So when Max says, hey, is it oil or natural gas? And the collector says, no, 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 it's methane. It's just natural gas is natural gas because it comes from the ground rather than from out of a pig. Yeah, it does seem to be a large component of that. But in natural gas, there, I think there are other gases mixed yeah. in. Mm-hmm. It's a more complex yeah. compound. I find it uh, a little bit amusing that the collector has to explain what methane is to Max because Max seems <laughs> yeah. like a pretty worldly guy. Yeah. But it also felt like it was a little bit of why this was this movie was maybe skewed to a, like a little cr- younger crowd. And, you know, because of that, they they felt like they had to explain a little bit of, of how things work on my way off. I can see that. Plus, despite being Max World traveled and most of us being fairly well educated in a modern society, I mean, I had to look up all the stuff that I just said about methane. I had yeah, to look true. all that up. That that mm-hmm. didn't come off the top of my head. I'm, I'm no chemist. <laughs> yeah. And even if somebody says methane, I know what they're talking about. I know where methane comes from. Mm-hmm. I know what it can mm-hmm. be used for. But the specifics about what it is and the different places that it can be found, I have no clue. Or how to convert it into energy. I don't know any of that. I know it exists. I know the word, but that's it. Right. So he says the lights, the motors, the vehicles. So I think we see one vehicle like we saw. We see Master Blaster riding around like before they go into the Thunderdome, right? Yeah. So that's one of the vehicles we think is powered by methane. I'm just... Yeah, I'm curious if they have any gasoline at all. So are all of their vehicles running on methane? I got all of my information on methane from worldofmolecules.com just to give you know, proper credit where credit's due. And they actually have a section on their methane page, methane as fuel is what it talks about. And you can take natural gas and methane as an extension of that, and you can liquefy it down, which makes it easier to transport and move around. I don't think that liquid methane is as efficient 
as gasoline or anything like that, but you can take machinery and you can, I guess, retrofit it. <laughs> you know what? Now that I think about it, I remember in college, there was a van associated to one of the school, like the business school, I think it was, that I would always see driving around campus. And it was has this big thing painted on its side powered by natural gas mm -hmm. mm. so yeah mm. so even in our world i guess there are vehicles that run on natural gas i think there are also like some cities have like city buses that are powered by yeah natural gas. i think even chicago has like part of its fleet i'm gonna have to look that up <laughs> <laughs> yeah in california there is a dairy called new hope dairy in sacramento county that installed a methane digester and it collects the methane emitted by its 1500 cows and it then turns that captured methane into electricity. Hmm. So exactly what they're doing here in Underworld is happening today. Mm -hmm. I went and looked up six top ways to turn poop into energy. It comes from motherjones.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> motherjones.com. I like that website. Yeah. They, it's so crunchy. The number one on the list of six is called poop-eating bacteria. And basically, it means that you're taking the poop and you're putting it into digesters, which are more or less like brewery casks. They house the poop and an anaerobic bacteria, and it eats the sludge, and it belches out methane. And basically, because it's in a cask, you can tap into that cask and just pull out the methane because gas rises <laughs> above solids and mm -hmm. fluids and things so like you that. Just so you like just... a valve on top. You just... Yeah. Okay. That type of thing. The number two way of turning poop into energy on this list is called a turd cell smasher. What a is name. that really its name? Uh, I don't think that's a technical name. Like I said, I'm getting this from a Mother website Jones. and these that's are the their German titles. Name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turd <laughs> <laughs> By destroying the cell walls in sludge, by heating it under pressure, zapping it with ultrasonic waves, or pulsing it with electrical fields, you can boost methane production by 50% or more in anaerobic digesters. So you can take your casks of poop with your bacteria inside, and you can do stuff to it. Like, let's say you have a bunch of furnaces around the edge of barter town. You could take those airtight casks and heat them, and it'll make the whole process go faster. If you don't want to have open flames and you want to let the world help you, last summer in Los Angeles, they started injecting sludge into mile deep wells where it's expected that the pressure and heat are going to release enough methane to power 1,000 homes. The well also dissolves and sequesters carbon dioxide because it's really deep that the sludge would normally release, removing the equivalent exhaust of about 1,000 cars per year. So you can dig a really deep hole and just let the earth help you out with the heating and pressure system. And if you've got a lot of open area, the number four option, if you don't like the idea of a geological toilet, you can go with a feces pond, which is basically just a giant pond that you throw all your poop into. And as the poop decomposes in the water and photosynthesis helps a little bit down there, it breaks down the sludge and converts it into fertilizer. The problem with the feces pond is all of your methane just evaporates. So it's really good for getting the fertilizer out, yeah. but it's not mm -hmm. as good for trapping the methane. You'd have to put a cap on your pond. Now, if we look across the pond, speaking of ponds, to Europe and especially Germany, they've got gasifiers, which use a low oxygen reaction to transform the solids in sludge into a carbon-rich char, which I guess kind of looks like a barbecue briquette. And then the char is gasified 
in the presence of air to produce a syn gas, a synthetic gas that can be burned for energy. That one is a bit more uh, high tech. Huh. Because I did in the like the flames that we see, like when uh, yeah. Max, this I guess this is like the next couple minutes, but we do like the orange flames that are next to one of the tanks. You can't see like little little briquettes in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're probably using those giant watery vats as feces ponds. So they shovel the poop up off the floor, throw it into the pond. Yeah. But then yeah, and then they have one conveyor belt. At least one conveyor belt taking like scoops of it out of one pond, like on the right hand of the screen. Yeah. Up somewhere. I don't quite understand where that scoop is going. Like, where did it come from? Where is it going? Where did you come from? Poop scoop. Poop scoop, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Poopy eye Joe. Poopy eye Joe. There you go. There you go. There is a sixth way to turn poop into energy, and it is called poop pyrotechnics. Apparently, an Atlanta-based energy company called Enertech built the world's first commercial sludge pyrolysis plant in Southern California. Its patented slurry carb process converts sludge from a third of LA and Orange County into char pellets that replace coal at a nearby cement kiln. Its ash is then mixed into the cement. So some cement in Southern California has traces of poop in it. Is that human poop or animal poop? Uh, Probably little column A, little column B. I have a question about the pigs. So poop is poop, right? It doesn't really matter what kind of animal it comes from. Poop is poop. Yeah, it's just... For the most part. You know, pigs poop a lot. Well... And they don't eat as much as a person. Yeah, but the person has to eat food anyways, and they're going to poop anyways. So why don't they just use human poop? Who says they don't? So maybe they do, and they're just working together between the two sources. I'm willing to bet that here too. Yeah, yeah. I'm willing to bet that every single toilet in Bartertown is somehow connected to Underworld, and all of the people droppings gets added into the pig droppings. I feel like that's a good way to go about it. Yeah, it seems like the smart thing to do. Why let anything go to waste? If you have the technology to make it useful, use it. I imagine you could probably walk up to the collector up in Bartertown, and when he asks, what do you have to trade, you could like pat yourself on the stomach and be like, oh, I haven't gone to the bathroom in two days. And he'd be like, oh, well, right this way, energy source. <laughs> I've got irritable bowel system or oh. syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Pay me by the hour. You joke, but what if somebody arrived with like a drum full of droppings? That's entirely viable. That is something to trade. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like animal pelts where you're going to pay your dues to the collector and then take the rest of it in with you to trade it with the populace for whatever. You would just be trading for entry in. Nobody inside besides Underworld wants it. Well, you can deal directly with Underworld as an entity. I mean, everything is trade. And so if you show up to the collector and be like, I am here to sell this poop and the collector be like, okay, well, that'll get you a sack of grain or two hours with a woman. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, well, I guess I will spit in my hand and make a choice. But would you do your entire deal with the collector on behalf of Underworld? Or is there somebody in Underworld that you can approach? Or a stall in the marketplace area that represents Underworld? If I were the collector and someone came to me with a 55-gallon drum full of human poop and they said, I have come with this 55-gallon drum full of poop to trade with Underworld, I would say, as the collector, you may enter and find a representative of the Underworld poop-buying establishment 
I do not want to take your poop from you. You can take care of that yourself. I don't think that Auntie would tolerate like an arbitrage system for poop selling. I think she'd want to, like if somebody was set up like maybe, you know, uh, a half a mile away from the Bartertown gates and he's like, let me buy your poop uh, and I'll res- and he's going to resell it to Bartertown. I would think that Auntie just shut that down. I think she'd want to control the market. On poop? She- mm. Yeah. Then there's like yeah. one price that she sets and uh, nobody else makes a profit off it. For that resource, so, it's so valuable. So do you think that she has set up outhouses? Oh, yeah. At strategic points in the wasteland and has them manned, guarded, and... You know, they fill a container. Hey, free bathroom. Come, use our bathroom. (laughs) Instead of squatting in the desert, you can actually sit on a seat. (laughs) And then they fill up a container and bring it on in. Outside that outhouse is just a little guy sitting. He's got a little tray with like some mints and a couple of napkins and whatnot. And you're expected to tip him. And you're apparently a jerk if you don't. Yes. (laughs) Juicy fruit or something. Yeah. I can only imagine. Mm. This is great, all of this poop talk that we're having, but (laughs) back in the movie, (laughs) (laughs) Max has just had it explained to him what all of this methane is used for, and Auntie, this whole time, has been scanning Underworld with this periscope, and here at the end of the minute, she has discovered the person that she was looking for, so she leans back from the periscope, and she invites Max back to it and says, have a look. Tell me what you see. And we do not get to see what Max sees. That happens in our next episode. So everyone will just have to come on back on Wednesday and we'll Mm -hmm. take another look down this periscope. That makes no sense at all. (laughs) Before we go, though, Richard and Chieko, why don't you tell people a little bit about Studio Ghibli Minute? Yeah, we are uh, part of the Movies by Minutes family. We are doing Studio Ghibli movies one minute at a time. Minute by minute. Yeah, is another way to say that. Uh, the We just finished doing Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. So I don't know when this is, probably by the time this episode, this episode is out, uh, that will be out. We'll probably be ankle or knee deep into the next movie, which is Castle in the Sky. Castle in the Sky. Yep. <laughs> yep. And we did, as we did the closing credits of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, we discovered a connection with Mad Max, with the Mad Max series. Ooh, do tell. Yeah. One of the in-between artists who worked on Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, Mahiro Maeda, he went on, I think, to work with uh, Hideaki Anno at Gainax. I think he did uh, some of the some of the character design for Neon Genesis Evangelion. He did go on to do he did some of the key animation for the animated sequence in Kill Bill Volume One. Mm-hmm. He directed the second Renaissance episodes of the Animatrix, and he did concept art and design for Mad Max Fury Road. Nice, very cool. There, there it is. Go. If there's one thing I've learned since we've started doing this podcast is that Mad Max has a huge fan base in Japan, surprisingly. Well, not surprisingly. (laughs) Geographically speaking, Australia and Japan are really close to each other. And knowing how much Japanese audiences like post-apocalyptic stuff, I mean, I'm looking at you, Fist of the North Star, but (laughs) it makes a ton of sense that they would love Mad Max and want to work on it. Absolutely. 
But we will talk way more about that when we come back on Wednesday, so don't go too far. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 16 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time